Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, the first of Volume 10. This is issue 451, Hitman 2. I am James Carter, and joining me on this issue are John Salmon. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Ryan Heyman. Hey, crew. It is delightful to have you all here. We are at the beginning of a new year, uh, a new new volume of, uh, of Cane and Rinse, and starting with a game that I know is dear to many of our hearts. So looking forward to this one. Worth saying right up front, uh, spoiler warning, Hitman's not that heavy on narrative, but there is a narrative, there is stuff to be spoiled, and actually a lot of it is in the gameplay and the little Easter eggs and the things you can do in missions. Uh, so obviously, if you're inclined to play this game before listening, please do so. Um, we have previously covered um, Hitman on two issues. Uh, we covered Hitman Blood Money and kind of the series up to that point in issue 131 back in volume 3 um, and then we looked at Hitman the 2016 reboot, kind of reboot of the franchise uh, in issue 354 which was more or less two years ago just after Hitman 2 had, had come out. So uh, developer as always with Hitman uh, I guess technically not uh, Hitman Go but the main series. IO Interactive are the development team. IO were owned by IDOS when IDOS was purchased by Square Enix or merged, I think purchased. IO became part of Square Enix. Shortly after, about a year after um, Hitman 2016 wrapped, IO Interactive separated. They um, were they, There was a management buyout, it's referred to. So uh, IO were up for sale and the board of IO Interactive put an offer together to Square Enix to allow themselves to buy themselves and sort of separate from Square Enix. And part of that deal, which was, was I think, quite a surprise at the time, was that the Hitman IP and a couple of other IPs went with them, which wasn't something necessarily you would expect. Uh, yeah, it seemed like a, a a positive move for, well, we'll find out what we think, a positive move for both both parties, but... It definitely has a bearing on this game and the form of it and some of the production values for it. So uh, the game was released on PC, PS4, Xbox One on the 13th of November 2018. So about two years after Hitman through its episodic release um, had completed, this game was released all at once. No, So we talked about on the on issue 354 that the episodic release was kind of late in the day decided, but felt like it fitted that game. And I think the panel then kind of thought felt that it worked for that game to extend the amount of time people spent with each level and the amount of time through the year people talked about the game. Um, this game did not have that. All came out at once, um, six locations and missions, um, and then a, a expansion passes with, um, with a couple of uh, extra locations in thereafter. Um, the game also came to Stadia on the 1st of September 2020. In terms of after release, uh, this game fairly highly reviewed on OpenCritic has an 83 with 92% of critics recommending it from 141 reviews. On that note, I will just quickly whip through my history. I was there on day one. I My memory, I didn't actually double check this, was that if you bought the gold edition, you got access a few days early. So it was almost exactly two weeks after. I put two weeks, but technically this released like two and a half weeks after Red Dead Redemption, but I got it a few days early, I think. I think that was the way that worked. 
I was there day one. I played through this game, unlike Hitman 2016, which was in beats uh, along as it was released. Um, I, I played this game just voraciously. I got it and I played through every level, went through and rinsed it, got full mastery, did all of the challenges before I moved on to the next. That was just how I did this. And it was, you know, all the way through. Which meant that uh, playing through this week, each of the levels once on a different version. So I was un- unlocking uh, the challenges again uh, in prep for importing my progress into the the Hitman 3 version that I'll be playing. That, that was the first time I touched it since it came out. Um, I didn't go back to it because the way it was released just kind of meant that I raced through it. It's not to say I haven't talked about it since then. It's not to say that it hasn't still appeared at the top of all of my favorite games lists for the year, the generation, the everything. But but yeah, that that was my history with that. I've played every Hitman game in the series and for 15 years now um, at release since Blood Money would have been the uh, maybe even contracts would have played at release um yeah that's me uh i think it's fairly simple and straightforward not much to add from the last podcasts we did uh john how about yourself your history with this game yeah i would have loved to have been there at day one on this uh i don't know why i wasn't i know that i bought it fairly soon after release Mm -hmm. and then it's just turned into one of those things that i've sat on for quite a long time i knew quite a lot about it seen plenty of streams and things of it knew what most of the levels at least like the basic involvement and stuff with them was but yeah i i actually didn't start playing any of the hitman 2 levels until about six months ago it was notably in august last year when they announced that they were going to start shutting some of the servers down Mm. and they had at that point they had a like a staggered release plan for we're going to do this now i think it was probably mid-august and they initially announced they were going to shut down the servers for one mode this ghost mode which Mm. i didn't end up playing and they said in the same announcement we're going to slowly start shutting down other things and we will let you know when but just be aware yeah so at that point um I jumped onto it with a friend and we played some of the co-op stuff first. Mm-hmm. Uh, notably, I think all of the sniper missions have yeah. co-op that absolutely relied on servers to be played. And I think yeah. those servers are still running. There still seem to be people playing them um, and people popping the achievements and trophies that are related mm-hmm. to them. But they have they have technically said that slowly everything is going yeah. to go. So that was, that was the very beginning and I played all of the tutorial things and I played the... Um, the Hawks Bay mission at that point. And then since then, I've kind of done the Hitman 1 staggered release thing of just slowly playing through the levels and doing exactly what you said, playing each one five, six times, doing all the mission stories, hitting the the top mastery level uh, before moving on to the next. And that's taken me over between, what, August and, well, I mean, I, I got the mastery on Haven Island, which is the final thing. Uh, probably six or seven hours ago but i've just slowly worked my way through everything over the course of those months including replaying a bunch of the the hitman one levels multiple times all of the sniper missions and kind of i mean there's a huge package here i'm very disappointed that the elusive targets all kind of ran out before i started playing it. i mean i owned it so you know what can what can i say I've, i guess i've got myself to blame for not jumping on it sooner but yeah so i've 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 been through everything i have played each of the at least the hitman 2 levels 5 6 times got the max mastery on them done all of the storyline objectives and stuff and yeah uh well that's yeah 
Excellent. Uh, Josh, how about yourself? I mean, to kind of give a reiteration of my um, history from the previous episode, um, Hitman was always a series I wanted to love but never quite Mm. got into until uh, the 2016 release, which was just like, oh, okay, I'm in now. And I I love that game to pieces. Um, I wasn't day one on this one. And I feel a deep sense of regret in saying that I kind of let the early reviews put me off a little bit in that I saw the kind of 8 out of 10s and it wasn't the, you know, like the 9, 10 out of 10 experience I was expecting from the previous entry. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this can wait. And uh, I mean, spoilers for my for my summary, but I ended up catching the game in January, February of uh, the year following. And mm. I was like, oh, actually, I actually adore <laughs> this game. Um, and um, yeah, I uh, I played it much the same way as John in that like 2016 kind of. It, the episodic nature of that game basically trained me to mm-hmm. to play games uh, play these games properly and even though everything was out at the same time i adopted the same kind of uh, strategy of like i'm going to absolutely rinse these levels for all the fun that i can get out of them before moving on to the next one um and yeah um i've i've constantly i've gone back and revisited it several times i've done the dlc all that so yeah thank you very much and ryan your first time on one of our hitman uh issues that's right your history with the series yeah i had um i had dabbled in hitman before 2016 um i had played the opening mission of hitman blood money which you know great game bad opening mission doesn't really inspire um, yeah. playing further if that's your first exposure to the um to the world For of sure. assassination yeah. as it were um i had played some hit mango which was uh which is a good game but not hitman no sure and uh i really only got into hitman 2016 i hadn't really been looking forward to it ahead of time but mm-hmm. like shortly after it launched i caught it on one of uh like a let's play channel that i was watching just thought this looks like incredible amounts of fun and so i picked it up within the first week or two um, of it launching and it uh, became one of my favorite games of all time i keep kind of a list of um all the games i own i attach little number ratings to them it's one of the only games that i've given like a perfect mark to and so when this game came around i was uh i was super excited i had played so much hitman like 2016's hitman i bought the gold editions on ps4 to begin with i moved over to xbox one later on purchased the gold edition there then bought the gold edition on pc and so i have (laughs) as much hitman as you can possibly get on all of the platforms uh when uh when this game came out i pre-ordered it on xbox one because i had the xbox one x at the time uh, I still do. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> I got in early because I pre-ordered the gold edition. They gave you the early access. Unfortunately, I was having some trouble getting to the actual content of the game. Uh, if I remember correctly, gosh, um, I think it was that 
like despite the entire game launching as one singular package, Hitman 2 is still formatted that each level is like a separate download or something like that. And so um, and so when I installed the game early, I was only able to play New Zealand and wasn't able to get to the rest of the game. And I was uh, I was a bit upset. I was trying to work it out quickly because I'm like, I paid this much so that I can get this early access. You know, if this three day window elapses, then I essentially lose that bit of the value prop. The benefit. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, New Zealand was quite good anyways. Uh, I eventually also ended up picking this up on uh, PC, which is my home platform, and that's where I have Hitman 3 pre-ordered. So, um, yep, I've uh, I've played lots and lots and lots and lots of Hitman, despite jumping into the series rather late. So, uh, thanks to our dear Ryan here, we uh, t- try to cover what the genre of the game is, so that people who don't know this game but may want to listen just for our entertaining voices. Stealth game is kind of the easy thing to say, but a uh, third-person stealth game set in discrete sandbox mission areas is kind of the sen- one sentence I put together. Um, particularly, this game leans on the use of gadgets or uh, more reasonably tools, weapons, and stuff you find in the environment, environmental hazards and traps and that sort of stuff. I put emergent question mark here because... I think I think of this game in line with immersive sims and the kind of emergent gameplay you get out of something like a prey. But actually, I was playing through the levels again this week thinking there's almost nothing about this as emergent because the thing about Hitman is whenever you do something, it requires that you understand what the game's response mm-hmm. to it is going to be. So actually, everything you do has a very known outcome. So what it actually is, is there's a lot of different systems happening the outcome of each one is known, but you can layer them on top of one another. So it's not that the systems kind of bang up against one another in weird and wonderful ways. It's that you can kind of layer things and set up dominoes to f- to kind of tumble over in the way that you want. So complex rather than emergent, I would say, is the, the way that the gameplay systems work. But I put a question mark there because I wondered how you guys would describe that. So... I think immersive sim um, seems really apt. I know that's a, a genre description that's only really come into popularity in the last five or so years, but um, I think uh, Hitman absolutely belongs in the same sphere as um, as Deus Ex and, and Thief and Dishonored. Obviously, it has slightly different priorities, and there's mm-hmm. like a, a bit of an adventure game bent to it in terms of mm-hmm. how items work and stuff like that. But it's definitely kind of like a player empowering kind of sandbox in in the same way that those games are. It feels like a cleaner representation of the immersive sim genre than even the you know Dishonored and Deus Ex mm-hmm. games that are kind of like the the forefronters uh, forefront progenitors of the mm-hmm. genre because it it does operate under kind of strict board game logic. Like every piece has a certain behavioral pattern that you can activate and depending on when yep. it's activated, it will behave in, in so-and-so predictable way. Yep. You have a lot of tools that you can use to help you kind of accomplish these goals. Uh, and it, it kind of strips away the remaining kind of random-ish elements yeah, of of Deus Ex and, and games like that, which is like its physics system in a way like Hitman yeah doesn't have jumping hitman i mean it it has situational ocarina of time jumping but it doesn't have like 
it doesn't have like physics based movement. It has very methodically board game piece esque movement. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it does feel like it belongs alongside those other games, but uh, I don't see it often brought up in those conversations, I think because it doesn't have RPG elements and it doesn't have, I, I think maybe just being so kind of mechanically separate uh, from those titles just, I don't know, makes it feel like it's not quite a clean fit, but I think it does does situate itself there really nicely. So. The uh, the game, as mentioned, part of the World of Assassination series. Um, as per previous Hitman games, I think all except maybe Absolution, you are jet. Each mission is in a different location. You are essentially jet setting between various locations. That holds true here. There are uh, narrative reasons for going to each of the locations, but in all honesty, they could say any place at the end of those cutscenes and that would just be where you're going next. There's no inherent reason why any location has to be what it is, except here's a place they think they can represent from all over the world, anywhere in the world, uh, sometimes cities, sometimes very small towns, sometimes fictional locations, sometimes uh, real in terms of the city exists, but the specific location, not the bank, for example, is in New York, but the bank itself is a fictional bank. That allows a lot of kind of changing, as John said, the, the appearances of the level. It also allows for a lot of the tone and humour of the levels. For example, the one that stands out to me is a really good example of the kind of dark humour of, and the knowing, self-knowing, self-aware humour that I will put into this game is uh, a sequence where you can present to one of your targets as though you are a realtor uh, or state agent, for those in the UK, showing someone around a house. You can take them from room to room through 11 different parts parts of the property, presenting the house to them in, t- in order to try and get them to buy the house. Um, and 47 has no context for what someone might look at a house and want in a house. So the kitchen he describes as a place with vinyl floors that might be slippy and a gas stove, because those are things he might use to dispatch someone. You know, he talks about the dark floors that hide stains well, uh, that kind of thing. It's all from the point of view of this man has no world experience beyond what he does in these games. And it's all very sort of dark humor. That's not... That's not entirely true, though, James, because as revealed uh, in uh, a level in the original 2016 game, Mm -hmm. uh, which level is it in this one? Sorry, I just... uh, The Free-Headed Serpent level Mm -hmm. in this game. Uh, Agent 47 is a very talented percussionist. (laughs) He does have a second life as uh, the rhythm section of many a band and many many an orchestra. I agree that this realtor segment is one of my favorite things in the game. Like, I felt very, I felt like it was a very relatable moment as somebody who when getting together with people in real life has a really hard time thinking of anything to say when the other person doesn't play video games. Like (laughs) if you specialize so much in one area of your life and people want to talk about something else, suddenly you recognize how many of your reference points all go back to something that others will find completely, completely alien. And so the fact that he could only relate to other people through the language of murder, I found extremely funny. I, I, I find like, we'll get into this when we, when Mm -hmm. we talk, talk about the levels, um, later on in more detail, but like 
I find this to be an extremely successful comedy game, even though it's not like yep. positioned as a comedy game. Agent 47's delivery of all of his lines, like you, you've already talked about um, the kind of real estate agent um, section, but whenever he's adopting like a character that's just beyond his understanding or be, be like just exist in an entirely different world than he does. Um, his the, the agent 47's dry monotone delivery is just so funny and it's never not funny. And the writing <laughs> is like, it, 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 it strikes a really good balance of like mm. being silly enough to get the laugh, but not so silly um, that it feels overwrought and and kind of breaks, you know, distract not breaks, but like distracts from what ultimately Hitman, you know, the main focus of Hitman. It, it's just, I think there is like a little bit of a clash between how humorless the meta story is yeah. versus how humorful the kind of micro narratives of of the levels are. Yeah, and I hope that's something that they maybe are looking to address with Hitman Free or at least, you know, future future IO releases because yeah. I think that's one element of the writing that I wish was just a little bit more cohesive and 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 felt like they were working together. But yeah. in the individual instances of them, it's it's just like I can name the number of games where I've laughed out loud on one hand, you know, like the Portal games are one of them, mm -hmm. um, Tales of the Borderlands. Hitman 1 and 2 are definitely, you know, on in that list, and, and I think Hitman 2 is even funnier. It seems fitting to have this particular forum post here. Uh, Ryan, I wonder if you would read through our first forum post of the episode, or the issue, I should say. Sure. This comes from Jushida from the forum, who says... There are few things more satisfying in this current socioeconomic climate than killing repulsive billionaires in an increasingly creative ways, which Hitman 2 delivers with a plum. The targets roam the maps, deadpan serious and assured of their importance, unaware that 47 stalks them, ready to turn them into a walking punchline. Being able to cater my runs around the excesses of the characters' personalities was extremely satisfying. Sierra Knox is a daredevil adrenaline junkie racing for her father's approval. A loose bolt seems like a fitting end. Uh, Dawood Rangan wants to be a star. A well-placed fan will catapult him into the M Mumbai sky. Each handcrafted opportunity, joyous in its own way, and built on a foundation of character development, often occluded behind the outstanding level design. The purity of focus here feels almost Nintendo-like. An odd comparison, yes, but the playful, toybox-like nature of each level reminds me of Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, although I'd imagine with a much higher body count, unless the captain is hiding some truly dark secrets. I feel a misstep in Hitman 2 is a requirement <laughs> to complete optional objectives on each run bogging down seamless runs with what turns into busy work. This particularly impacts Whittleton Creek in an otherwise stellar level. But this is a very small gripe, which I'm incredibly excited to return to that gorgeous travelogue menu in Hitman 3, rife with possibilities. So that story that we've kind of touched on, I kind of had to scratch my head and work out which parts were from Hitman and which parts were from Hitman 2, but largely in the last game, uh, you were undertaking a series of contracts that it turned out were all pitting 47 against members of Providence, a shadowy organization, and that a shadow client had been pulling strings to set up 
the ICA, the agency that uh, 47 works for, 47 and his handler. Um, and so Providence come to Diana and 47 at the end of the first game and say, you've been played here. You should probably work with us. Uh, to which 47 and Diana say, should we really? And essentially are kind of forced into this uneasy alliance. And so you start this game trying to find out who the Shadow Client is. That's the main goal initially. You're working with Providence, but don't really trust them or like them or think that they are remotely worth working with, but that's the situation you're in. You partway through, like a couple of missions in, maybe three, identify the Shadow Client, and about halfway through the game, 47 encounters the Shadow Client. It is revealed that, uh, as has been the case at several points in the series, uh, 47 is 47 because he is not the first and only cloned highly trained assassin. He meets uh, assassin number six, um, uh, subject six, I believe they refer to him as, uh, who now goes by Lucas Gray. As always with these games, there are a plethora of proper nouns that would put Bungie to shame almost uh, with the number of different organizations, the pseudonyms, the different roles within these organizations, all of this stuff going on. The um, long and the short of it is as the trilogy goes on, uh, Agent 47 is now teamed up with Lucas Gray, Diana Burnwood, 47's handler, and Olivia Hall is the hacktivist, to use the term in-game, uh, that's working with Lucas Gray. They are trying to take down Providence without letting Providence know, is is the story of this game, uh, mostly. That, that about covers it, right? <laughs> I, I don't know how yeah. much of that's really necessary narrative to to take away from the game, but that's what's going on. And it's all very, as Josh, you said, very serious, very pole-faced in a way. It's all taken very seriously, despite the fact that the individual missions are just rife with how uh, surreal and ridiculous this all is. Yeah, I think that the, the actual meta plot is pretty dull. It kind of does what it needs to to facilitate what you actually care about, right? Like mm. it's it's a great like container for everything that that follows in 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 the levels themselves. And I think Diana Burnwood and Lucas Gray kind of existing as um as you know Agent Forty Seven's conscience is. I think that's a smart idea because I think Agent Forty Seven kind of needs to be the the robot that he has yeah. always been um, to to work. But introducing a supporting cast that kind of guide guide his uh, his sociopathic tendencies in the right yeah. direction um, is is smart. Um, and I and I do I, I will say I think the vocal performances mm-hmm. um, throughout, even though the actual content of the the cutscenes are not uh, particularly interesting. I think um, uh, Jane Jane Perry and and John Hopkins uh, yeah. put in pretty pretty you know good performances mm-hmm. uh, as their respective characters. I think the the only um, the low light for me in terms of characters, um, specifically in terms of performances, is the constant um, Philip Roche. Um, I think he sounds a little bit. He sounds like he's in a different game. Uh, if I'm being totally honest, he's a little bit too. Uh, he he sounds like a, a like a Saturday morning cartoon villain, if that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Whereas John Hopkins and Jane Perry are both doing these quite natural, uh, theatrical kind of. Uh, the, yeah, you know, sure. I'm a I'm a British actor and I went to RADA kind of thing, <laughs> but it's it's still quite natural, still quite organic. Whereas um, the constant always sounds like he's about to to kill Danger Man. 
mouse or something like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I agree. No, he, yeah. he sounds like he's got a cold constantly. Um, yeah, I agree. I I really particularly like John Hopkins um, as as Lucas Gray. He more than once I've mistaken him for Peter Serafinowicz. He does have a different voice, but there's that kind of cadence and something about it reminds me. But he's got this accent that's actually quite hard to pin down, which makes a certain amount of sense if you imagine him as someone in uh, 47's position who is a clone who doesn't ha- didn't have parents that he learned to speak from was was raised in this institution and has then since gone around the world trying to blend in as much as possible that comes across in the way John Hopkins plays this role I don't know if that's just his natural voice it comes across as someone who has a little bit of everywhere in his accent and it's tough in to the pin the entire world down. has American accents anyways so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, they do a slightly better job of that here than they, they did with uh, the original Hitman. Like, I very distinctly remember all <laughs> of the NPCs in Marrakesh appeared to be like Americans who were backpacking around. It's America, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But here you've got Mumbai, and I'm, I, I struggle to decide whether the accents are actually Indian or whether they might be like British people doing stereotypical slightly racist indian accents but it, at least it's not just the same guy standing on the street corner in mumbai going hey <laughs> mr builder man where are you going today yeah Which really really wound me up yeah they did, they did make a note that they vastly increased the number of different vocal performances and, and actors they brought in to do that stuff because yeah it did feel i did feel that there was much less of uh, repeated lines and that kind of thing going on. Not to say there wasn't any, not to say there wasn't more than there would be in, in other games that managed to do kind of uh, open world city spaces and not repeat uh, NPCs and, and dialogue, but it was much better this time around, I thought. Yeah, so we've we've migrated from story into kind of audio via vocal performances. Um, the The score is not something I have to say I ever pay a massive amount of attention to in these games. Also, I only realised today because as I was playing it, I happened to get spotted by someone that the someone has spotted you slash you are now in combat music. Um, I barely ever heard. I don't think I've ever heard it before today, unfortunately, (laughs) just because if I get spotted, I tend to reset back to a save or restart the mission over or whatever. Uh, Getting into combat or getting myself out of a sticky situation in these games is not what I'm here for, mainly because I've never enjoyed much of the combat uh, in the games, to be honest. Um, I know they have got better with that, but it's not what I've been a fan of the series for. So, Uh, And I do have memories of back to Hitman 2 Silent Assassin and uh, Blood Money of just really not liking the way that uh, combat felt. So, But the score, it's dynamic enough in that it does speak to if you're in trouble, in danger, it's going to let you know through the music. Otherwise, it's largely kind of background. It's always playing through the... Um, through the the mission as you are as you're playing it there's always some kind of score and music in the background uh i seem to to find i couldn't ever spot a time when there wasn't some kind of ominous background music playing any particular thoughts on on music in in this game well, i'm sure we mentioned it in the previous game but the the absolute standout of this is after you've completed all of the objectives mm-hmm. The score just swelling and you know it's it's the same piece as they they've previously used but and the music before that is so diegetic. I mean, I was thinking this again today, playing the game. Uh, there's there's always music playing in the background, but it's it's almost to the point of it being percussive or 
just very very sort of low bassy bassy noises that are almost accentuating what you're doing and it's it's a difficult one to say because it, it feels almost a cop out of saying that like when the music is doing its absolute best you barely notice it because it's just playing into the entire atmosphere of the game but it is very much one of those situations where there is always this underlying score that you don't really notice that much but i think if it if it was just completely cut out if it wasn't there you wouldn't notice it and if you heard it played in isolation you, you might think like oh that's that that's the hitman or, music or just it sounds familiar but going yeah, on but, it. mm, yeah it's it's a very it's a very weird line to try and um try and sort of go a lot across of do we want this to be you know overwhelming and very obvious or do we want it to you know be potentially the opposite way and you not really notice it at all and i think there's there's a very fine line that they managed to tread well yeah. here where as you say if you heard this you'd be oh i i know that music i know that music really well but i'm not sure exactly what it's from but yeah like i say the the absolute um you know the the one piece that everybody will know is the the sort of the booming music that comes in when you've finished all of the objectives and in theory you should just be heading towards an exit but if yeah. you're anything like me you might be using this opportunity to mop up a bunch of additional uh objectives or you know finish off a few other uh, a few other bits and pieces and might theoretically spend half an hour wandering around the map shooting skulls to get a ghost pirate ship to appear <laughs> when everybody else is dead and you hear a lot of that that final theme and yeah, I have to say it's it's a very very nice piece of music that fits in very well with the game. So, yeah, I think I think there's, they they tread both both kind of parallels of this fantastic underlying theme tune, but also the big bombastic that pops up when you want it to pop up. Is it very telling that Josh and Ryan are on here and don't seem to have much to say about the music? I mean, it's uh, I think <laughs> the points have been made very well already. I love the end of level and just for i think just for accuracy's sake like there is a slightly different arrangement of music with each level uh -huh. um i noted this because the to me the exit level music from paris from season one was yeah. the like definitive end of level tune yeah. and i was kind of frustrated because that's not the one that they chose to put on the soundtrack and so right. i can't find the yeah, actual yeah. paris exit like, level clean, tune yeah clean um, but it, it does play very similarly and of course they do the brilliant like like dropping in additional instruments like in accordance with proximity to any of the levels exits which is um, yeah. i don't know where those invisible flags are but they do a a great job of making it feel like you know, you are, you're getting away with it. You know, you, you've, you've done it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit more tense. It's a little bit more exciting and freeing as well, because you're that much closer to the exit. You know, it's, uh, um, it is really good stuff, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel I have anything additional to add to it. I, I think for me, it's, it's a, an extremely effective soundtrack in context, and it's not necessarily a soundtrack that I would listen to outside of it. And ultimately for me to kind of, that those fight, you know, the passion to yeah, actually yeah. kind of engage with it, um, um, it, with more analysis than I've offered. It, it comes from like caring about the music separate and apart from the game. Sure. Um, for me, it, for me, it's it's very much it's a it's a stellar piece of work, but it's it's a work that I can't divorce um, from the actual experience of playing it. Yeah. No, that's that's entirely uh, fair enough. 
Um, just because if I don't mention it now, I'll forget about it. But just you saying, Ryan, that uh, the different instrumentation comes in kind of dynamically with proximity to, say, an X or whatever. They also do similar with the UI in that you've got your mini map up, but you also have um, HUD elements in the UI. So it will point out where exits are, but only when you've got to the point of needing an exit. But it also brings them in and sort of zooms in on them uh, as you get closer to. And it's always making guesses as to what it needs to show you. So some of like the sub objectives in a level won't be shown unless you happen to be close to them. So your your UI in terms of what's up on your HUD won't ever get too cluttered. I think does a pretty good job of showing you what it is you want to see. And if if something's not showing up, you can kind of just go in the general direction and it'll appear. So it does a similar thing there visually as well as also doing that with the score. So it's clearly something they have thought about and having a kind of contained sandbox means that they can probably make good guesses as to if you're heading in this direction, here's what we want to show you. But it's good to see that they've done that and not sort of overwhelmed the player um, and allowed that to kind of uh, build and, and pull back when it needs to in the same way as the score. So on to some of them, their visuals. Art design, I didn't have a single thing to put down because to me this looks like a Hitman game. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. We've talked about kind of the different locations uh, feeling very different and them using colour and sort of uh, the set, setting the scenes very well uh, in that respect. I think art design is worth camping out on because yep. I think in terms of what Hitman does visually, the art direction is like the most impressive thing about it because, okay. you know, look, looked looked at from a technical perspective, I don't think that, you know, the Hitman series necessarily competes with, um, you know, its peers, especially, you know, uh, you know, this game came out around the same time as Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2. I don't think it's competing with that game on a technical level. No. But in terms of just how well observed uh, these environments are and how well, like, just the use of, like, you know, like those lines on the floor in Miami, like that guide you to certain areas, yeah. just the level of research and attention paid to real spaces and how to create a feeling, even like these are obviously these are amusement park levels, right? They're, they're, they, they're, they're creating the illusion of a real space rather yeah. than actually being a real space. But they, the choices that they've made in terms of what to focus on and what not to focus on uh, crafts this really compelling illusion of a real space. Yeah. And I think that's entirely down to the, the decisions that they've made from, a, from an art direction standpoint. No, that's absolutely fair. Uh, even I was thinking uh, touches like on the mailboxes outside of the houses in the Another Life level, the names are there. They don't need to be. Not mm -hmm. everyone would have the name on their mailbox outside their house. It would be entirely believable if they weren't. It gives you information to allow you to understand the level and to navigate your way rather than just guessing at which house it is. You can work it out. Same with the, the lines on the floor. Uh, there's signage in public spaces. You would expect there to be signage uh, to kind of point you in the right direction. It all kind of makes a certain amount of sense. But if they hadn't done it, it would be lesser, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be unheard of in a game to, to not put that stuff in. So there is a lot of attention to detail, which is, is part of the the kind of the way that these games as sandboxes feel quite dense even as the levels have got bigger over the series which they have these levels are as big mm -hmm. as bigger than most of any of the levels that have come before uh the 
the recent world of assassination has blown up the size of levels the sandboxes you get to play in but they have kept a level of attention to detail and rooms that are are dressed and the amount of interactable objects in them it feels like there's a lot going on even when if you hit your instinct you can see that there's maybe only two or three things in any given room you can actually interact with but it does feel like uh, they are busy in a satisfying way to make it feel uh, quite real so no you're quite right i think that there's a level of um i guess inconsistency with any positive thing that i can say about the level design as well and i don't necessarily even mean that as a derogatory statement like i think that the fact that they are still experimenting to such a huge degree um, this late in the series is really really refreshing and the fact that they look to be experimenting even more in uh, hitman 3 from what we've seen of it so far but uh, it does mean that there are occasional misses in some of the things that they had already mastered um in previous levels Mm -hmm. i think that the i mean the big one that comes to mind is the another life level in uh, whittleton creek yeah um you know generally hitman has such big dense sandboxes but it's easy to get a sense of where you are yeah. because you can always, it has that Banjo-Kazooie thing where you can look in any direction and see all of the major landmarks kind of protruding from the ground from far away. Yeah. And you can kind of orient yourself. You can triangulate yourself. This is where I am. This is where I need to go um, at pretty much any time. Uh, I think a lot of the levels are really successful. I think about, about Mumbai, like you can see the movie set building, yeah. you can see the slums, you can see everything from anywhere. Um, and the Whittleton Creek, I think they they specifically went into it with the intention of creating kind of the anonymous next door feel where all the yeah. houses really look the same. And it's really, really difficult to learn your way around that level because is. everything is so anonymous. Um, eventually you do learn there are a few kind of points of reference. I mean, obviously yeah. the sides of the map. There's the 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 park, there's the backyard barbecue, but it is still really difficult if you're looking for something that is specifically in one of the houses that isn't attached yeah. to one of those landmarks, it's really difficult to find. Um, and I feel like that was intentional. I don't know if it was successful from a gameplay perspective, but I think it sure. injected something really unique and really interesting into the mix. And so I'm glad they tried it. Um, I don't know yeah, if yeah. I want them to do it again, but I'm glad that they tried it. I think one of the important things to note about Wilton Creek is it feels like that entire level is, you know, a recreation or a love letter to one of probably the most uh, famous fan favorite levels from Hitman Blood Money, which is called A New Life. And yeah, it's obviously very similar in that respect with backyards, with pools and barbecues and things going on. So uh, I think that you're right in saying that, you know, having to venture into each of the, how many are there, six houses, eight houses that have all got different things going on inside makes it slightly more obtuse. But it definitely feels from like the overall setting that that level is is kind of the entire thing is an Easter egg to this this 15 year old or 12 year old when the game came out like fan favorite level yeah and for, I, I definitely came out from that point of view of wow this is amazing look how far this series and video games in general have come because <laughs> uh, that level you can go into the house that is the target's house and a couple of garages basically 
and that's and and then like a couple of gardens but other than that there are houses that are just there but are not interactable almost at all um and to go to yeah it's eight or nine houses i think because you've got three streets each with three houses but i think one might only have two but either way there's a lot i agree it's very difficult and i, th- I think you nailed it ryan i think they wanted it to seem cookie cutter and like it was just this suburban sprawl and all the houses are they're either the same or a mirror image of other houses so they're all on the same kind of uh blueprints or the same architectural uh, plans they've all been built just as like high production you know uh houses in of itself could be taken as like a you know a, a- uh, scathing oh, it's a satire, take on yeah, absolutely. affordable tracked housing in, yeah. in sort of suburbia. But I think intending for it to be confusing to navigate doesn't necessarily excuse that it's confusing to navigate and therefore you can end up if running around, like, especially if you didn't notice that the names are on the mailboxes, or even if you did, you don't specifically know, like, a, a couple of times you'll hear a surname and you know that's the house. Other times you won't mm-hmm. necessarily. So the realtor's car being outside that house and the signs being there, okay, that's the house that if I'm showing someone around, that's where it's going to be. But even like they have, they've got a construction site, they've got a house that's under construction, they've got roadworks where there's someone dealing with a gas leak, I think, of some kind. They've also got um, a couple of refuse collectors next to a lorry. It's not, they, they've put almost too many similar things going on around where you could easily get turned around if you see a truck. Is that a construction truck? Is that the, you know, refuse collection, bin collection truck? It's, it, it is difficult to navigate, which I think is intentional. I think it's supposed to be uh, absolutely mm-hmm. a satire, but I definitely got myself turned around more than uh, once playing that level. And hands down, the level that I ended up spending the most time in to get all of the challenges. Yeah. It's it's great if you want to see Hitman 2 as, you know, instead of a 15 to 20 hour long game, six, five, 10 hour long yeah, games yeah. instead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it plays into the uh, episodic yeah. Nature of this, which was you know not really you know not not there yeah. with the release style of it, but is still very much there in person when you're playing it. Um, one thing that absolutely cannot be said to be bigger and grander and better than um, than before, I have to say, is the storyboard cutscenes, which stand out in this game. I think I don't particularly dislike them, but they stand out as a oh, there was some cost cutting went on here. They did not have the money for this in. So one point in Hitman 2016, a lot of the intermission cutscenes you see are who you find out to be Lucas Gray, basically setting up the assassination that you are about to go and do. It's a flashback to, here's where this guy did this thing. A lot of them take place in the level settings that you previously were in, which obviously means they don't need to render and produce environments that aren't already in the game because they're reusing that. In this case, you're seeing a lot of particularly the inverted pyramids secret hideout of the um of the of providence um and of particularly the the partners you're seeing environments that aren't in the game therefore i understand not wanting to render 3d environments and film the cutscenes in them and produce them with all the panache you do get um the mission intros are still in kind of uh like a present full presentation style although often it's like a fancy powerpoint style animated presentation but it stands out to me the way i thought of them and uh the nearest thing I could think of was Metal Gear Solid's digital graphic novel had largely stills with bits that were moving. Uh, Loki, uh, Thor and Loki Blood Brothers was a, a animated film that did much the same. There's stills and there's a- 
aspects that are moving or you're kind of panning and zooming across them. It's that kind of thing with a lot of voiceover going on and a lot of story being shared. And they look nice, but it does feel like these were, you took storyboards and made them look nicer and it was noticeable to me. And I think that that was also commented on in some reviews as being a maybe not particularly well-liked thing. How did we all feel about this way of delivering story? I actually kind of like these better. Yeah. Um, I think that they're really appealing to look at. Uh, the fact that yeah. they're able to stage each scene as a still and really get the silhouettes and the posing mm -hmm. and everything on the characters right and add that little bit of movement that gives it kind of an otherworldly dreamy quality to it, yeah. I think is a really strong decision. Um, it, I mean, it reminds me a lot of, um, of early YouTube, um, Gmod videos, okay, yeah. uh, if anything, where you, you had people that were posing characters in a 3d environment, but obviously they weren't professional animators. And so they would do, you know, what they, they would do what they needed to do to just get the right shot and, uh, tell the story that way. And I mean, to be honest, like, I don't really care about the Hitman's story that much. Sure. Um, when I watched those big expensive cutscenes the first time in Hitman one, you know, I would, I would obviously skip them and all subsequent plays through the level. Yeah. And honestly, if they were going on too long, I would skip them the first time because sure. I really did not care at all. And so the fact that they're cutting costs here to put the money somewhere else was to me a very smart decision. And I, uh, I fully support that. I, I agree with Ryan's last point there, where uh, I think it's impossible for me to not view these in the context of how Hitman 2 was released. And it's like they clearly had to make some compromises. And I think they made the right decision about where they should compromise. Like, if you're going to put money into a Hitman game, put it into the levels, put them into to the thing yeah, yeah. that is ultimately the showpiece. I I do find these to be uh, I don't like these um compared to the original right. CG stuff. I totally agree with uh Ryan that the 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 actual narrative uh content of these cutscenes mm. was not particularly interesting. Um but I there is a part of my like the pleasure center of my brain is very much connected to visuals and visual design. Um, and those cutscenes are very well edited and very well framed and the cinematography and all of that stuff. Even the way the characters were um, animated was just really, really slick. And um, uh, especially uh, Lucas Gray, um, who uh, I think like the animation work for Lucas Gray was really strong in those cutscenes. Um, but like... I think the the thing that I miss the most from Hitman 1 is not actually any one of these interconnected cutscenes. It's that first opening sequence that felt like a bang, we've arrived, like, for that game. Like, it, the opening sequence of Hitman 2016, um, where it shows you all the kills from previous, previous sure. Hitman yeah, games, yeah. is one of the most, like, is one of my absolute favourite intros in terms of editing, in terms of pacing, in terms of music choice and all of that stuff. Uh, I think it's a really, really good like opening for that that game, and for Hitman Two to not have that kind of like we've arrived, like 
right, we let, let's go. Let's like announcing its arrival in the same way that 2016 did. And I think it this plays into some of you know maybe some of the more negative reviews at launch. It does make it feel a little less special and a little less like an event. Um, ultimately long term it doesn't matter and i do agree with ryan on that point i think the more you play the game the less and less you care um but just for the sake of like that extra level of polish that extra extra level of prestige i do prefer what came before even though i don't necessarily miss miss it 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 will be very interesting to see how hitman 3 fares in that respect because if if we imagine that Obviously, IO had less money for Hitman 2 because they had a publishing deal but were not owned by the publisher, so therefore they were inevitably given less money to make the game from Warner Brothers. Um, And that was the cost-cutting there. How does Hitman 3 fare? Because this time around, there's a distribution deal with Square Enix, as it happens, um, but that's just for distribution. They are publishing the game themselves. I wonder how the story will be presented and whether we'll get the panache it seems like from the trailers we've seen. And they've got, you know, a lot of high production value in the levels. We've seen stuff from, you know, some of the levels, Dubai, for example, that looks really amazing. The technical side of the visuals we'll come on to in a second. That doesn't look to have slipped at all, but I do wonder what they're going to do with the story side, whether they can justify putting the sort of money and resources that it would take to produce something like the introduction to the world of assassination with the Lucas Gray over uh, voiceover that you mentioned, Josh. Uh, it'd be very interesting yeah, to see. I I think I think there will be. Um, I don't think make because I I'm pretty sure the CG. Uh, for Hitman One was done by a Square, like a company that Square Enix sure. owns, yeah, yeah. or something yeah. like that. So we're probably not not going to see something on that level in Hitman yeah. Three. Um, but given that Hitman Three is exclusive on Epic, and there seems to be some PlayStation exclusive for features VR, as well, yeah, yeah. that ha- I, there's no universe where that happened without an exchange yeah, of some... exchange of money yeah, yeah, to io yeah. and i and i think that that money will probably be poured into um making that stuff a little bit more slick and a little bit more prestigious on the technical side uh the thing that stood out to me the one thing uh, the the um art design you talked about josh the thing that stood out to me most of all and the reason i mentioned it earlier that new zealand level uh, the the opening on the island, Hawks Island, I believe it's called. That house is a really uh, glass-fronted, lots of big open windows. You're there at night with like moonlight casting down upon you. Um, the, it's a spectacular way to open a game that a lot of the memories people have of the uh, the predecessor was Sapienza level, the Paris level, with how... Uh, how that game looked, the lavishness, etc., and to dial the light way back down and focus like really heavily on reflections. They did. They did put a lot of work into for a not ray traced game to make the reflections and the the way that um, light bounces around, even in the absence of color. Which this game is colorful, really colorful in spots. It's really cool and pleasingly the the guy you would expect to, John Linneman, uh, dug into uh, this game's release, dug into some of the tech stuff that's going on in this game with uh, reflections and that kind of thing. You would assume without ray tracing that, that reflections would be handled by screen space reflection because almost every other game's used that. Apparently not. Apparently this uses uh, render to texture, which means they actually capture 
the space that the the player and the car- the camera are in and actually produce a texture of it to put onto the reflection, which means you can get by some of the issues with screen space reflection where if there's an object blocking, you can't see what's behind it on the reflection. Uh, anything that's off screen, off the visible portion of the screen, isn't reflected, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think it just looks great. Uh, I think that opening level is a great way to show it, but it really is cool. And occasionally, even on other levels, I catch a mirror here or there or a window here or there, and I'm like, wow, that's surprising for a game that I think looks good. But as Josh, you said, it, it's not knocking aside its competition in terms of visuals, but there are aspects to the way that handles reflections and HDR will get onto as well. that I think it really is up there with the very best uh, until we get to ray tracing, which obviously uh, IOR putting into Hitman 3. But yeah. And I think that they're very clever with it, with the... Um the Hawks Bay level in particular, having all of the glass fronted windows. And I think there's a a number of challenges that the game tries to get you to do that revolve around doing things in the bathroom while the two, I think one of them is the actual target Mm. and the other one is kind of the husband of the target who's, you don't have to kill, but who's there. And there's a lot of challenges around subdue the the other guy while the target is in the shower or the opposite way around. And it, it forces you into that area with the multiple mirrors and the things like that. And it, it's it's like a very hands-off tutorial showing you you're going to do this yeah, and you may aware. or may not notice these things, but these new elements of this game over the 2016 game are all present here. And if you're observant, you can notice them and, and see how they play into the gameplay. So that, I mean, that is so much better, like leaps and bounds ahead of them saying there are mirrors in this game. You suddenly now have to worry about mirrors. There's there's long long grass and foliage and stuff that you can take into consideration. The idea that they're going to sort of semi-hint that you want to be in these places where these things are, are, are you know, are a factor rather than actually telling you is is so much better. It's really impressive. I watched that John Lindemann video mm. um, out of the, the show notes here and... Um, kind of makes me think like why do we need ray tracing when we have <laughs> this technology like it's it looks so good like it looks better than i've been playing um watchdogs legion and cyberpunk on pc where i'm able to get some you know real ray tracing reflections going on and it does look better than the reflections that i'm seeing in those games yeah. and so i'm uh yeah i i you know john Lineman says that the uh it's quite expensive uh from a demands on the computer uh, level to to produce those types of reflections but i mean so is ray tracing so the difference i believe is that uh, ray tracing is expensive computationally but is Mm. not that expensive for the development team screen space reflections Mm. are are um not that expensive but then you have to manually place lights and get into the weeds with that in the development and um, render to texture is the worst of both worlds where you still have to manually place everything but it also puts a big hit which is why it's most noticeable in the smallest level in in this game mm-hmm. uh, because you you couldn't get away with that in the Mumbai level if you had every every building made of pure glass in the Mumbai level it would just be a problem which is why Dubai I assume the reason they can do a level like that in a very high glass tower is because they're now using ray tracing so it's expensive like it takes a lot of processing power but it's easier in terms of implementing it is I think 
I'm not a digital foundry representative, so I defer to people with more knowledge that of that and the development side, but I think that's the issue. And it was clear that they were being very selective with the windows that they applied the, um, For the reflections sure. yeah, to. Yeah. Not every piece of glass had reflections. Some of them had um, fake reflections or you know, just kind of regular uh, dummy texture yeah, reflections yeah. that didn't actually update with anything that was happening in the outside world. So um, all in all, though, you know, there are very, very intelligent uses of um, use of lighting and baked in textures and, and kind of baking in a lot of the more expensive graphical effects in ways that uh, like a uh, last of us part two is another one where um, a lot of people highlighted, you know, how not all of the shadows that you can see were dynamic. A lot of them were yeah. kind of painted onto the texture because you weren't going to be getting the same level of kind of dynamic lighting that you would in a big open world yeah. watchdogs game or something like that. And um, Hitman, because its environments are so controlled, means that they know exactly where every light is going to be shining from. And, yeah. um, and they're able to do things that should be computationally expensive. Uh, cheaper than it would be in other games. And they're also able to do things that make the environments feel larger than life in ways that are difficult to exaggerate in um, environments that use kind of uh, engine driven lighting. Yeah. Uh, like anytime that there's light shining out of a fish tank, uh, whether it's in the, the first level or whether it's in Miami in that entire aquarium area, yeah. like the amount of, the water distortion texture on the walls, the amount of the coloration of the light that it projects out is so much larger than life mm. and so much bigger and more theatrical. It, you know, it, it really, it, it draws attention to it and it it makes it feel exaggerated in ways that are really beautiful from a staging perspective, um, like a, like a painting, but it wouldn't be the case if they're trying to depict everything realistically. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me very excited for Hitman 3 with the notion of, it's a cross-gen game, so maybe it won't work the way I hope it does, but the notion of a, a contained sandbox environment being able to be brought onto PS5, PC, and uh, an Xbox Series X really excites me in, in what they could do, because ray tracing, very expensive, very problematic, has all these difficulties, but in a closed environment, maybe easier to deal with than mm -hmm. than in a large open world game um in theory whether it'll come to bear i don't know uh so uh we haven't heard from anyone from the forum for a while just a reminder that uh jay very kindly sets up forum threads for all of the issues coming up which for patrons now uh for patrons i should say now on patreon have have got the full list of games uh teasing is happening right now um of what's going to be in this volume uh, there will be for any of the upcoming shows a forum thread put up uh, so that you can go on weeks in advance of when we're recording and leave your thoughts about the game. Several people did, and we're about to hear from the second. Josh, I wonder if you would read this next piece of forum feedback, please. Uh, this is from Mark Who. Um, I enjoyed Hitman 2 a lot, but I have to say I miss the episodic nature of its predecessor. Playing the first game in chunks gave me an incentive to replay episodes over and over again, trying all kinds of methods and completing every challenge until the next level was released. 
This time around, once I had completed a level, I was too curious to advance the slide, I mean story, and see what the next level had to offer. It's not you, Io, it's me. The levels themselves are once again intricate and full of little surprises, though I wasn't as taken with them as before. The Formula One level is amazing in its design, but after that it's a bit hit and miss. The Columbia and Mumbai levels even feel a, a bit dull and dated compared to the weirder, more glamorous locales of the previous game. Although the suburb level is a nice callback to an earlier blood, a blood Money mission. Finally, the Ark Society is an equally dark and silly level that shows the 007 franchise is in safe hands with IO. The Eyes Wide Shut franchise as well, for that matter. Um, by the way, I have bought the other two missions, but have yet to play them. In short, Hitman 2 is just more of the same, but served as a complete game. I felt less compelled to try as many different approaches as I did in the first game. You'll probably discuss the financial reasons for newly independent IO to release this as an entire game, but I would have fully embraced another episodic go-around. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of why the game got released episodically was that Square were happy to experiment with that stuff. But when you've got a publisher who do not own the studio, do not own the IP, they kind of want that money back in $60 chunks when they release the game, unfortunately. Right, we have touched on several of the missions and we've touched on kind of what we like about the level design. I think that so the comment about this being more of the same was kind of what was leveled at the game for being a hitman 1.5 rather than hitman 2 i was happy with that i loved the way the mechanics and the way that uh, the first game was set up so much that i kind of just wanted more levels but what i will say my takeaway from this is in this game and part of why i think my thesis for this game is that it is a love letter going back to the entire hitman series and showing yeah but here's what we can do now is the level design i think they take ideas they've had previously and play them out in different ways in grander ways and more elaborate ways throughout all of these levels there's something about all of these levels that i think they're saying yeah but look we can also do this now for be the the finish line in miami it matters at what point you choose to take sierra knox out as to whether she's on the racetrack finish the race you know, she's all over the map. She's not just, you will find her in this one place and here's three different ways. Timing matters, not in an outer wilds sense of the, the, the phrase, but much more like in the sniper missions, where it matters at which point through the 15 minutes you choose to take someone out. And that makes a difference to what uh, methods you're going to have at your disposal. That's really, really cool. Uh, and the same is true that every single one of these missions, there's something about them that I think shows off something that IO either did before and are now realizing more fully or more uh, more elaborately, or just says, yeah, and also we can do this as well now. Uh, like the, the night call mission with the reflections and how that is a great tutorial to this is now going to matter in this game. Maybe not as much throughout the rest of the missions as it does here, but it's something where they're saying, yes, and here's something else that we've added. Uh, and that's cool, even if it is only there's mirrors and foliage and a briefcase, which is kind of almost everything that gets added. The comment about Hitman 2 being more of the same, yeah, but I think it's more of the same in the way that Mario Galaxy 2 is more of the same of Galaxy 1, in that 
the novelty factor is gone, right? So Mario Galaxy 1 is the the game that was the innovator and, and changed things up. Mario Galaxy 2 is the kind of distillation and, and perfection of what that game, what made that first game special and ultimately kind of focuses on the the strongest aspects of of that game and i think hitman 2 does does the same thing like hitman 1 like uh, you know st- absolutely one of my favorite games of all time etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think even the biggest hitman fan will say that that game is very high peaks and and then a couple of low lows For like sure. sapienza is an absolute like masterclass yeah. masterpiece level uh colorado cool. on the other hand like it's not terrible but it pales in comparison to you know yeah. paris and and sapienza whereas here I think, you know, I have my favorites, obviously, but I think these are all pretty strong. Um, Like, every single one of them has... So, like, probably my least favorite is uh, the Columbia, Mm -hmm. the three-headed serpent level. But it's it would still be, like... If it was in Hitman 1, it would be one of my favorites, if that yep. makes sense. Uh, whereas, like, I think, like, the finish line, um, the Miami level, absolutely holds its own against, like, Sapienza. I think Another Life, even though it's, like, a smaller, more focused level, I think has just some of my favorite moments in the game um, concentrated into a small environment. And then the Ark Society level, I think, does a much better job of being a final kind of test of your skills mm. in a Hitman game than the Hokkaido level um, in the original game is. I think this is just, th- these levels are wall-to-wall great. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree, I have to say. I'm a bit divided on Night Call, which is Hawks Bay, New Zealand. It's, um, I think it's very interesting that the tutorial level lets you basically infiltrate the entire map without any resistance at the beginning mm-hmm. and uh and learn your way around and and really experiment with the uh, you know placing traps and uh getting getting comfortable with the environment before any challenge is introduced i think that's great for new players i think it's um it it does make the level seem a bit weirdly paced and i don't find the extraction from that mission to be all that enjoyable from a gameplay level, although it it does a great job of teaching, you know, the lessons about hiding and foliage. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's one that I appreciate greatly from a technical level. Um, I, I I do kind of appreciate having the ability to spread my wings a little bit and uh, explore without any consequences, but um, it's it's not one that I spend a lot of time with on replays. Yeah. But it's the tutorial that's totally fine. Mumbai is well designed, but it feels like there's too much to do to make replaying it not feel like a massive commitment every time I want to go back to it. Um, it kind of has that, uh, like uh, the one thing that people criticized Sapienza for at the beginning was destroying the virus at the end always felt like, you know, it really kind of, it, it tacked a little bit too much onto an otherwise really exciting um, assassination mission and funneled your gameplay towards the end, which is usually where, you know, we, we hit that mission, um, kind of funneled your gameplay into a predictable loop again. And there are aspects of Mumbai that do that, but again, really dense, really well-designed map, um, really exciting to, 
explore and there's a lot of diversity and a lot of different types of things to see. But uh, yeah, it's overall, yeah, really, really strong throughout. Uh, I mean, Ark Society has a few corridors that look pretty similar to one another, and it's a little bit easy to get turned around here and there. But again, easy to sort that out. You just need to kind of find a doorway to either the outside walls of the castle or a view of the interior, and then you kind of have your bearings again. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, the very strong. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that was as memorable as the highs of Hitman one, but, um, but, uh, again, just a lot of great Easter eggs as well. Uh, really a joy to kind of explore all of these areas. Okay. Time is getting on away from us. We have one last piece of forum correspondence. Uh, John, would you be able to read this one, please? John Cheatham, good name, by the way, uh, from the forum says, although IOI abandoned the episodic release approach, I can see why they thought it would work well. I can sit with any of these maps for an entire weekend's worth of gaming, exploring every corner and trying to trigger every quirky mishap that can perform my hapless target. They are perfectly formed miniature open worlds that feel at once like tableau paintings where you want to scrutinise every little detail, and marvels of clockwork. I remember being impressed by the idea of scheduled NPCs in oblivion after Morrowind's all-night potion sellers, in a mission like the finish line, your encounters with targets can shake out differently depending on when you get to them, meaning that on repeated playthroughs you'll have in the back of your mind where your target is when and how to take advantage of their movements. The simulation is nothing short of fantastic. I actually bought Hitman 2 first and then played through the first game's campaign as DLC before getting to the sequel's content, but Hitman 2 features some of my favourite maps across the two. There's Miami's Dense Bustle, Santa Fortuna's adventuresome sprawl and the quite stunning rendering of an island resort in the Maldives, which has been bringing some welcome sun and sea into the flat during lockdown and social distancing. It also has one of the most atmospheric and tense tutorial levels I've played in some time with a slightly more narrative night call. Each and every one of these environments has great memories, like shimming up a partially built skyscraper in the Mumbai sun for a Sutoni run. Release any one of these missions on their own and it would be a game worth buying. I could go on and on and on. Like the first game, Hitman 2 is a masterpiece of design. Bring on Hitman 3. Thank you very much. Gameplay-wise, we've kind of covered a lot of what this game entails and what there is about it. Um, one thing I will say, uh, we spoke on the previous issue about Hitman, uh, about the opportunities and the way that that was intended and, and I think fairly successful in... Uh, players who had bounced off uh, just how obtuse some of what you have to do in in Hitman levels, uh, it brought them into that by giving you a kind of step-by-step guide to here is how you can complete one of the particular ways to take out this target. What they did here was tweak that to what they called mission stories, where uh, even more so than Hitman, it gives you a series of four or five steps of things to do with not necessarily the end of that being a... an assassination, but it gets you in the direction of being close to a target with an opportunity to to um, take them out. Sometimes puts you still a couple of steps away from actually taking out a target, um, but it kind of it's a little less. Di- it's not less directed. It's a little less uh, scripted in terms of actually getting to the to the final um, assassination itself. 
which was an interesting kind of spin on that. They dialed it back a little bit, but put more of them in there. And the the comment earlier about uh, needing to clear certain objectives before you can go on to the, the next level, um, that certainly isn't the case now. Uh, most levels as I was playing through, I would have cleared one of the mission stories and it would suggest another one or two for me to do. And I could just skip that and move to the next level. So they kind of encourage you to stick with a level a bit more and do more of the mission stories, but uh, it didn't ever feel kind of dictatorial to me in, in a way that I think would have been more frustrating. Uh, what they do add are the same number of challenges. Ryan mentioned mastery level. Each each mission has uh, a sort of top-tier mastery level that you need to complete pretty much all of the challenges to reach. Uh, it's not far off all of them. And there's a lot of challenges. Sometimes it's collecting things, taking people out in certain ways, or just interacting with an NPC or a part of the environment in a specific way, uh, exiting the level different ways. There's lots going on. That seems massively different level per level. Like I think I found that on most levels where the... Um the maximum mastery is level 20. You'd have to do about 50 of the challenges. And in a lot of those, there were 100 to 120 or okay. so. But there were others where the um, the New York level, to reach level 15, I had to do practically all of the challenges. So it seems it seems kind of up and down. But, yeah. I mean, generally, it's it's a pretty good, um, pretty good way of seeing the level. And they have, I think, three three missions that they call actual mission stories out of maybe between about six and eight that it the game kind of pushes you if you finish a level and you haven't done the the different mission stories and they're all the they're all the opportunities that it, it shows you from the beginning of the level if you want to go and look at your your mastery you can go and check what opportunities you had opportunities you have available there's always three that end up being kind of key mission stories so it wants you to see those ones and pushes you to to see each of those three before you you move on to the next level and they're generally the the three that are kind of the most worth seeing out of the whole lot like uh hitman the the difficulties are in here and they don't well they so they do the thing that difficulty always does which is increase uh npc's ability to kill you essentially decreasing your health but it changes the number of saves you have access to whether or not mission stories are available at all stuff like cameras in the game which can lower your score or make it more difficult to get away with committing illegal acts in in front of a camera for example um and lowering npc attention particularly to noises um, the degree to which people will hear what you are up to. Um, thinking particularly like the in the Mumbai barbershop, they have like hanging curtains between the doors. And if you move through those, uh, even on professional difficulty, generally people won't turn around as long as you're moving fairly slowly. Whereas on master difficulty, they're going to hear that and probably turn around to spot you. So the scoring system and mission ratings was introduced in Absolution and they've done a better job of tying it to stuff that is going to vary run to run. So there isn't a maximum score you can just get and that's it. You're done with the level. Um, it's tied to time and then stuff like getting spotted and, and whatever else, which some people obviously do get very interested in. I tend to find the scoring for the sniper missions is more interesting to me just because 15 minute chunks seems better than something which is going to take a lot longer than that for kind of repeatable uh, score attacks sort of thing. 
Anything particular? I want to get on to talk about the new additions to this game. Is there anything particular you wanted to talk about gameplay that I've just kind of raced through a little bit there? If not, then new additions to Hitman 2, over and above Hitman. So this is the stuff that was kind of put out as the bullet points um, when the game was released. Um, There is now a social stealth mechanic. Think uh, Assassin's Creed blending into crowds. You can do that. So particularly the Mumbai level, there are enforcers who are on the lookout for 47, not just someone who they would recognize is in the wrong costume, uh, wrong disguise but they are on the lookout for you. So from the start of the mission, if they see you, they will start to get suspicious. Um, And you can blend into crowds to avoid them. You have a ring around you that tells you within what distance someone will start detecting you, etc. The game also put in functional mirrors, as mentioned. They use some of that extra reflectivity uh, on mirrors to mean that if you're coming up behind someone with your piano wire your fiber wire out they will spot you and potentially panic or you know uh raise a a ruckus uh to interrupt your well-planned uh garroting they also added in picture in picture uh which shows you some key events for example if a body's found it will flash up to show you uh which is particularly important because it will mark on your instinct mode any witnesses. So if someone has witnessed you doing something, they would be orange, but the picture-in-picture mode would show you who they were as well. So it gives you other ways to identify people. And you will see from the camera perspective if you are spotted doing anything or in the area. So it just gives you a little bit extra information. And then there was stuff like uh, the weapon inventory or the, the inventory management you can do while still being in the level a bit more easily. It's a bit more seamless. And they added in some extra weapons like a fish that you can use to slap people about or a measuring tape, which as expected you can use to uh, garrote someone. There's also headphones you can do the same with, I believe. The most, I guess, high-profile addition was the briefcase and not for necessarily the reason uh, IO thought. So the briefcase allows 47 to take something like a sniper rifle into a mission with him without having to use the agency drop point. That was not available in Hitman until the levels were brought into Hitman 2. It's now back in Hitman 2, but the briefcase itself can be a throwable weapon. And what a throwable weapon it was. The homing briefcase meme... (laughs) was then produced and patched out of the game but returned as an added weapon item uh, with that specific uh, ability to where you can throw the briefcase and it will slowly but very uh, deliberately track whoever you have thrown it at you can you've got a targeting system and it's it's hilarious if you haven't seen it then googling hitman homing briefcase is definitely worth a chuckle the the best Absolute best. Uh, I, I know we don't uh, deal in objective uh, fact in Canarins, but I'll this is it, yeah. the rare objective <laughs> objective fact. The the best uh, use of this was in the last resort mission, where there's one particular uh, target who will go off on their uh, speedboat. If you throw the briefcase at him as he goes off on his speedboat, it will chase him all the way around (laughs) on his speedboat until it finally hits him. Like, not only is this a homing briefcase, it's like some kind of advanced AI (laughs) missile that um, Agent 47 is carrying around. If you've not seen that, like, there's loads of briefcase videos, but that one in particular is really fun. 
because it's an open space and you've got a large distance that the um the npc is obviously traveling at just fast enough that the briefcase has a rough time catching up so, yeah it's all very good yeah. it's very good yeah it, it all makes sense when you understand how the systems work that it doesn't use gravity to drop if you're targeting someone because it kind of expects the thing you're throwing just to hit them so it just goes uh and it's it's amazing again just a little moment of being self-aware from io where they just realized yeah it wasn't as we intended and it kind of breaks the game a certain amount but actually let's just patch it in as its own weapon so if people really want it they've got it um which was a, a nice nod to the fact that sometimes these things happen you just need to roll with it we have mentioned several of the other modes. It's worth touching. There is a contract creation, which uh, originally arrived as contracts mode in Absolution. It's never quite worked as... It, I've never quite been as excited about it as I expected to be when it was introduced. It kind of ran yeah. out of steam on it. And I'll always go in and create a contract as I did uh, when I first played this game. But it's not something that I... F- feel compelled to keep going with it sounds really cool like pick any npc on the map make them the target specify the method of killing where you you know uh what you have to be wearing as you're doing it etc it some really interesting challenges but i've just never stuck with it as much as i expected to for whatever reason i mean they've turned it into the escalation contracts in this game basically and i guess in 2016 as well where it was you, you could load up each of the different levels and there would be as a side of the the main mission they would have a, a escalation mission where you could go and go and try and kill any i mean i think the escalation ones that were actually built into the game were probably created by the developers but it would be like a five tier yeah. system where you could go and yeah kill this guy oh now kill this guy without changing your costume kill this guy without changing your costume and using such and such a weapon and it would it would yeah, it's it's basically that, but you get to decide rather than I guess IO decide the main ones. Yeah, it's a nice flexible system, but yeah, I, I guess you're right. Escalation contracts kind of took the place of that. I definitely had fun with the ever increasing complexity of the objectives of the escalation and with the contract creation. It's just kind of once you've created it, everyone's free to try it. But if it's yeah, it, it just doesn't kind of hold the appeal that I expected to for whatever reason. It's one of those things where I often think about like if. I was stuck on a deserted island with only one game. Hitman is definitely, you know, really high up the list as games that I could see myself literally playing forever if I had nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. And this mode really kind of plays into that. Like there is potentially limitless ability to create interesting challenges and to share those with your friends. And if this was your one game, then you know, totally like this is a huge sure, yeah. value add potentially. But uh, I think the way that any of us on the podcast play games, just, you know, probably just due to who we are and the necessity of playing multiple games for the podcast uh, doesn't end up probably working out that way. Especially as there's so much game to be had, as John, you said, if you are yeah. playing and rinsing every one of these levels, you're spending probably 10 hours on each level, if not maybe more in some cases yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that point where you may have put 40 or 50 hours into this game by the time you get to actually having done everything you want to do with it almost certainly there's some other game kind of demanding your attention and you've probably had your fill of hitman for a while i even me <laughs> i have to say i as mentioned i didn't touch this game after the two weeks where i furiously played through it until i got to to getting ready for this show not because I didn't like it, just because I kind of felt like I'd had had my fill of, of Hitman, so I didn't really need the extra stuff. 
but another mode that got uh, a, a little bit of kind of attention at launch, but then kind of fell off a little bit, ghost mode. Uh, instead of setting up a contract and challenging someone to complete it, this was, okay, a 1v1 competitive mode where you can play with a ghost alongside, the same as you would get in a racing game, where you can see the other person's ghost running around doing it and you you get notified when they have taken out one of the targets and you have to take out the target within a certain amount of time. Uh, Otherwise, they would get a point. So it was a race to get points based on it would give you the next dynamic target to reach. And John, as you mentioned, unfortunately, multiplayer servers for that were uh, shut down in August. um, And yeah, unfortunately, not going to be something that you can play now if you didn't get to at the time. Uh, again, sounded like a fantastic thing, but not something I spent much time with, unfortunately. It ties into a little bit of your idea about the game being forever game that you just continue playing. Um, like a live service. Yeah, basically, yeah, like a live service if if they continue doing this. I mean, it seemed like a cool idea, and I saw plenty of videos of, you know, like notable streamers playing yeah. this mode, but unfortunately I never got to it myself. Yeah, the, it had been shut down. By the time I started playing the game, 18, what, 18 20 months after it yeah. came out. Uh, also in this game, Sniper Assassin uh, was here. So that the Sniper Challenge was an Absolution pre-order that was completely separate. Um, then there was a Hitman Sniper mobile game for this one. Again, it was a uh, pre-order. You had access to a separate app called Sniper Assassin, and then that was deactivated and the whole the map and mode was rolled into this game. Along with the expansion packs, they released a couple of extra Sniper Assassin maps. I only ever played The Last Yardbird, the first one, uh, but I I love this mode. I really do. It's to my shame that I didn't go and play the other two maps when they came out. Um, But this time around, they put a co-op mode in where you would be two snipers from perches working together. And as John, you mentioned, they announced the server turnoff for that in August 2020 alongside the when Ghost Mode was shut off. But as yet, they haven't spun that down. I imagine by the time we get to Hitman 3, that might end up being shut off. But yeah, we're in a, we're in a bad position here where we're talking we about something that might not what, exist. 10 yeah. days, 11 days <laughs> yeah, before Hitman 3. And it, it will probably have come out by the time that most people There was a co op mode, we but promise. As of right. Yeah. As of right now, the co-op sniper still works, yeah. and it's it's a lot of fun. These, I mean, I, this is way more than I ever expected for what was supposed to be like a pre-order bonus, especially from a pre-order for a game that's what Absolution is now 12, 13 years ago. No, it can't be that. No, seven, eight years ago, maybe. But yeah, each of these three levels really well fleshed out and they're they're kind of like 15 minute long hitman levels kind of just crushed into this little core that you can play and as of the time that we're recording this you can play this with a friend and and do some some co-op sniping it may or may not still exist by the time you're listening to this but each of these three maps that apparently they released alongside the game and each of the two expansion packs they're really like shockingly good for almost this thing that is throwaway. Yeah. And you're going to buy this, you're going to play the, the eight Hitman levels that come with the game. Oh, here's this sniper thing. But there's so yeah. much intricacy that's built into all of these. I mean, if, if they're still running at the moment, please go and give these a go because they are really shockingly good for what they are. 
Yeah. They're well designed, but I never really enjoyed playing them. I think it was because they took out the um, manual save function. So you really had to do everything right in this one in one go, yeah. essentially, which is, you know, yeah, I, man, I find an interesting challenge. That's what, like, that's like original Hitman there, though. That's what you used to have to yeah. do before they rolled the, but, like, rolled what now is called master difficulty into what used to be called professional difficulty. Like, you used to have to do these things in the time limits and stuff that they were built in, and that was kind of the point of them. But it's just so easy to, like, mess things up in small yeah. ways. Like, it because you have to play the entire level through in one go and it's kind of stuck behind. Like if you want to experiment with, uh, with behavioral behaviors that you can trigger late in the cycle, like that's yeah, a lot to sit through, through. not yeah. only the long loading screens, but also the entire game up to that, um, you know, the, the mission up to that point. And if you have to trigger anything specific before that, and then even so, you know, it's, it's less game, it's less board game like than other hitman levels um in that you, it does require more uh more gamer skill if you will uh you know you have to account for bullet drop you have to hit moving targets oftentimes you have to um it, it, there are very specific things that you have to do to especially if you want to go for like a silent assassin without triggering alarms and it's so easy to mess that up in ways that like if you really want to hone in and get good at these sniper missions then like totally the the ceiling is high but for for me who just enjoys like i don't know just checking things off the list like that sounds really dismissive who enjoys going for different challenges who enjoys experimenting like it felt like the barrier to playing the game in the way that i want to play and i'd totally be fine if you would allow me to save mid-mission and then drop me from the leaderboards i don't care about the score i don't care about competing against yeah. the you know however many thousands of other players there are on the particular platform whatever uh but i yeah i don't know i just i didn't really get behind the whole like do it all in one go and i i had previously really enjoyed the absolution pre-order bonus um i'm a big fan of that i i really enjoy the Oddly enough, the um, Colorado mission from the second season pass of Hitman 1, uh, that was another sniper mission that you could save throughout because um, you would you kind of need to. In that case, there was a lot of moving targets. And there was a lot of uh, of trial and error in that one. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, it's something that I had to get over as a hump a little bit as well because I think they hope that by making it just 15 minutes, that mitigates some of the need to be say five minutes in and think, oh, I've screwed up. I'll just reset because it's only ever going to be 15 minutes maximum. I think the problem is, yeah, there are some of the challenges I'd be doing where I'm like, okay, I've got the first two minutes of this level down absolutely pat to know exactly what I need to do. But in order to do this next challenge, it doesn't happen till 12 minutes in. So I am just sat here for 10 minutes that there's no getting around that. Well, there is. Fast forward button would be the other way to do it. There's an element of that, but that is also an element of the previous Hitman yeah, yeah. games before, especially before yeah. 2016, but especially with, I never played the original Hitman because I think it was a PC yeah. only game, but especially like Silent Assassin and Contracts, Hitman's two and three, that was a big deal. And that's also, I mean, that is something that plays into a part here as well, like, I mean, there's an element of a lot of these things where you could just 
sit on your ass for five minutes and wait for. But, but Ryan's always the, got the option you know, the to do something else, to... whereas in this he doesn't. Oh yeah, and no. I think and I th- yeah, I mean that. And that I think to great. a certain extent, I, I you you will not find someone who loves IO for their referencing previous stuff in the Hitman series more than me. As much as anyone, I absolutely do. But I don't think the fact that sitting around waiting for something to happen was a part of the older Hitman games is really an excuse for keeping it here if it doesn't still work or if there's not other ways to do Maybe it. Maybe with the way that uh, you know the way that landscape has changed in the last however long it's been since hitman contracts 15 yeah, yeah. plus yeah. years yeah i mean it, yeah okay fine uh, don't get me wrong I, I love these sniper missions and as a pre-order they work great for me because my anticipation for the game means i just want to get in and enjoy this and i will just score attack those missions but i think it's telling that i played and got ridiculously high scores on the first map for this and then didn't touch the other two once i had hitman main missions to get stuck into it was just if I've got 15 minutes, by this point I know the missions well enough, I can just go through and play one of the other missions. I don't really need to be doing a sniper mission. And that's to my detriment because I enjoy them. I should find the time, but I I just don't. And some of that is the kind of structure of it. And I think there is a a, a wrinkle there that pushes some people away from it. Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends where you sit a little bit. I mean, I've got the, you know, the Hitman... Uh, HD collection, yeah. whatever it's called, for uh, Hitman 2, Hitman 3. It is literally backwards compatible on Xbox yeah. One, sat on my my pins list next to yeah. Hitman 2. And the idea of booting that up instead of booting up Hitman 2 uh, 2018 is slightly daunting because, yeah, I know that those games require more just kind of waiting around for things to happen and yeah they're less even, accommodating even absolutely yeah, that, that was a big too. part of yeah, what josh I mean, was saying about 2016 kind of being a doorway in for him uh there's a lot of stuff that they just hadn't smoothed out in those earlier games yeah yeah for sure um we have a long list of secrets and easter eggs and extras that i don't see any way we can go through all of here suffice to say there is a hitman uh wiki uh hitman.fandom.com and there is an entire page set aside for easter eggs there are loads from tiny little things to uh full exits from levels that you would never know were there unless you happen to shoot an umbrella that you can barely see on one side of a map uh it's quite amazing what's it what's in there in terms of the endings to the game the so the main game finishes where we leave 47 47 and lucas gray know who the partners are who are the controlling founders of of providence and they are going out to find them uh the constant uh is captured but has revealed to diana that uh agent 47 was responsible for killing her parents he planted the bomb, so we get a lot of kind of Diana background. Uh, although 47's a blank slate, obviously with anyone who doesn't know their past, there's a need to uncover that past and have it tied to everyone, so they're definitely doing that here. Uh, the DLC kind of does this thing where they want to move things forward, but they need to kind of end up back more or less where they were, so that if you haven't played the DLC, it still makes sense. So uh, 47 and Lucas Gray find that the partners have new identities, so they find out what those are and find out where the partners are, but still haven't gone to get them yet. So they kind of end up back where they were. Um, the constant has escaped, and 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 yeah, it kind of ends up back where they started, but they do a little dance around needing to, to find out new identities. And um, there's maybe a suggestion that Olivia Hall knows more than she says about what's going on. 
we're back where we started after the DLC. That's uh, they very much have got a story going across this trilogy. So this is going to be all about taking down the partners. Those three uh, characters have been mentioned in Hitman Three, uh, kind of teasers as those are going to be the three people you're predominantly going after at the beginning of the game. As far as the legacy of this game, uh, as mentioned, Hitman 3 is going to complete that World of Assassination trilogy. And not only, but also, uh, IO have said they are, for the moment, walking away from the Hitman series. Kind of came out alongside uh, the announcement that they have secured the James Bond license. They are moving on to a game that is at the moment called Project 007. So after Hitman 3 launches and we get through any DLC and extra stuff that's happening with that, they are going all out on the James Bond game that I didn't realise I wanted until someone said it and I don't know why I didn't put together that they've essentially been making a James Bond game just without the licence up to this point. I am excited for this uh, just because um, in the same way that um, when Insomniac was announced as Spider-Man, I was like, huh, that's a good fit. Yeah. You know, like in terms of like the tone and the mechanics that they specialize in, a lot of James Bond is already in Hitman. I I do, obviously, I have some hang-ups about the character. I think James Bond has aged very poorly. Yeah. But I think if Io bring the kind of humor and levity that they've brought to Hitman to this franchise, I think it could work. I'm a bit half and half on it. I think a move to James Bond from Hitman feels feels well within the same ballpark. To me, I kind of read that announcement as we're going to make more Hitman, but with a tighter leash around our neck um, as far as what, you know, IN Entertainment will and won't let them get away with. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the potential downfalls of working with licensed properties is that you always have to ask somebody else permission. And, you know, it could be a really empowering moment uh, getting to draw upon the legacy of James Bond, like the uh, Batman Arkham Asylum games uh, made the most of that license, or it could be a Marvel versus Capcom infinite situation where you always have somebody looking over your shoulder to the detriment of the final product. Yeah. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see, you know, if anything, um, it'll add vehicles and it'll perhaps allow them to go a little bit more big and over the top with the gadgetry. So um, that's, that's fun. It, I think it's interesting that um, James Bond is rebooting at around the same time as we're getting a new perfect dark, which is yeah. another shooter that kind of plays within the same kind of gadget first space. So yeah, definitely. Um, if anything, you know, cool that both of those are going to be um, marching out at, around the same time and and also interesting that obviously this is just an announcement now and despite the fact that the hitman games have kind of come out in two and a half year increments a bit sooner than i would have expected but i don't think i'd be expecting them to get a project 007 out two and a half years after hitman 3 which means they're going to be more or less tying in with when it looks like the film franchise is going to be rebooting with a new James Bond. I don't know whether that means they get a bit more freedom to not make it a Daniel Craig starring James Bond game or too tied to what James Bond was, or whether it means they end up just having to be tied to something we haven't seen yet. I'm hoping it means they get the freedom, as you were saying, Ryan, to kind of take what they do well and work out how to make that fit Bond rather than having to shoehorn what they do into into a kind of more defined uh, Bond style of game. Well, where's our IO Interactive Austin Powers game? 
we had three word reviews on the day of recording. Uh, we tend to send out, we do send out, in fact, we don't tend to, we always do, a uh, a tweet on Twitter at Kane and Rince, uh, asking for your three word reviews on the game in question. And you have furnished us with uh, several today. Right on. This is Simon Nelson who says, I miss episodes. John Cheatham says, nicely done, 47. Uh, Wizco says, experimentation is fun. Uh, James McCall, Hitman Season 2. Mark Hulan says, throats wide slit. Alex Maskell says, murder plus mirrors. And Pecan Pie says, killer costume party. Thank you very, very much to our three-word review contributors and obviously our uh, forum contributors as well. We had some great input from the uh, the forums and you can do that too if you head off to canerins.com forward slash forums. The final part of this is going to be our summaries. I put us in an order. I don't think this is one of those shows where we need to save any particular person for last. I think we're all fairly positive. Um, So, Josh, I wonder if you would let us know where you stand on Hitman 2. Yeah, it's a funny one because because of the way they've released these games and the way that the, the first game, if you own the first game, basically becomes a part of the second one. I don't really see Hitman and 1 and 2 as like... I mentioned this earlier in the recording, but I don't really see them as kind of two distinct games. They're kind of like... Hitman 2 is kind of like an expansion pack to the the Hitman 1 that came out in uh, in 2016. But it's just... It, it's such a good expansion pack. Um, I think um, the levels kind of... I, I, I talked about how Sapienza was one of my favorite levels of all time in in uh, in that issue. And I think Miami and... Um, uh, Mumbai and they for me kind of had like stand um shoulder to shoulder with uh with Sapienza I think it they're just absolutely incredible I I yeah I, I there's not really much more I can say I don't really have a clever insightful point to say in my summary other than uh I think Hitman continues to be like the absolute peak of uh this particular subgenre uh, and I am hugely excited for Hitman Free, which is Im- imminent. Um, I yeah, I love IO and I love what they're doing, and I really, really glad that they they seem to have found uh, a niche for themselves and really embraced it. And uh, and um, yeah, and and uh, I I'm glad they're not making Kane and uh, Lynch free. John, how about your summary? I also really, really appreciate what this game has done. I think that there are there are highs in this that are potentially higher than some of the highs from Hitman One. I mean, there's a handful of levels in here, like the the Haven Island at the very end of it, that are possibly even even nicer environments to explore, and even more out there ridiculous ways to kill some of the the assassination targets than they had in the previous game. And I think that the probably the level that I disliked out of everything, um, the Mumbai level, which personally for me was probably the like the low point of them, didn't come anywhere close to either I think it was Marrakesh or uh, Colorado that I wasn't mad keen on in the first game. So I think overall, like the quality of this is is kind of much much improved and the idea that also you go and buy this now for probably no much more than about 10 15 pounds or dollars 
you're also going to include all of the Hitman 1 levels into this if you've or the Hitman 2016 levels if you've never played any of those like it just it seems like such a no-brainer of a you should be getting in on this the idea of getting in on this for for 10 15 dollars to get all of the Hitman 1 and Hitman 2 levels at various points is is such an easy easy buy in easy easy opportunity to get into there's there is dozens and dozens and dozens of hours here like I, i've been going through this for months now and including months and months that i spent back to back playing each level from hitman one like it, it seems like a really stupid tagline but if i was i was kind of forced to to put a line on this it would be like hitman 2 too much hitman uh you could just sink into this for probably the remainder of the year even though we're only nine days in, <laughs> especially if they release Hitman 3 at this point. And it also includes updated versions of all the Hitman yeah. 1 and Hitman 2 content, which, I mean, I guess they could. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with that, but it's a possibility that you'll get Hitman 2 levels with some other absolutely wild thing that they add into Hitman 3. So by the time that the you're listening to this podcast, most likely Hitman 3 will be out. So you know do with that as you want but yeah i mean this is this is a a truly truly triumphant game and a, a truly triumphant re-release of all the original hitman 2016 content as well so uh, if you have any sort of interest at all in anything that we've said here that you know, this is an absolute no-brainer of a thing to go and go and get hold of fantastic thank you um yeah for for my piece um I was writing a list of my favourite games of the generation fairly recently and I ended up putting Hitman 2016 on just because, as mentioned on that recording, I, I thought Hitman was done after Absolution. I thought it was done. And frankly, I wanted it to be done if that's where they were going with it. I know that's not a nice thing to say, but I really didn't enjoy that game. And so the fact that that game came out and blew me away the way it did and was such a, for me, a return to form just means it gets that place over this one. Not because I don't think this game is every bit as good. And in all honesty, I think like it more for the ways it pushes on not just what I'll have done but what they can do i think this game as mentioned i think it takes ideas they've had previously and executes on them better than they ever have before certainly in a way that i am more astounded by and uh takes takes new ideas to you know new takes ideas to new heights and also shows that they have more and more creativity in that studio and more, more and more expertise so when someone says that this is more hitman Part of me wants to just say yes, and isn't that amazing? But also, part of me wants to say mm, no. No, they are they are really pushing the boundaries here. I know they're not changing up the way the game plays and adding in vast new systems and different things. But in terms of the level design, in terms of the way they're pushing themselves to get creative with a sandbox, yeah, I I, I think they are doing something really special here. I hope that we're going to see more of the same with. Uh, with Hitman 3. If that game continues in this vein, I'm kind of happy that they are going to be pausing on Hitman for a while because this World of Assassination trilogy from the first and second uh, pieces, particularly uh, Hitman 2, is kind of everything I could be dreaming for Hitman to be. And and so if, if it gives IO the chance to go and do something new and then maybe in the future come back to Agent 47, maybe not, but this game is is 
to say that in 2018, this was my favourite game of the year in a year that was just jam-packed with stellar releases is uh, about the highest praise I can I can give it. I am uh, just a huge fan of what Iowa are doing and I can't say enough positive about this, despite knowing that this series is not going to be for everyone. I think they've done an amazing job of bringing people in and, and having, I think as we discussed at the beginning, just not necessarily universal praise, but champions who just go to bat for this game. I count myself and I think probably everyone on this podcast with me amongst them and just a lot of people that I uh, really enjoy hearing talk about this game and watch play this game. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can't say enough good about it, but I'm going to stop so that Ryan can step in and tell us what he thought of this game. Yeah, I mean, personal opinion, this is my fourth favorite game of all time like i can't get enough of hitman um i think what makes it really exciting for me is that i'm i'm really bad at stealth games and i can't quite figure out why like i i feel like i'm a slow meticulous gamer you i've made my way through dark souls i've made my way through games that require a lot of patience and planning beforehand but um for some reason, you know, when I'm playing those later Metal Gear Solid games, I'll be sitting in a bush looking at a door I need to go through and, you know, slowly kind of picking off with sleeping darts all of the enemies around me and making sure, you know, double checking every possible corner to make sure that my my path is clear and I exit the the grass patch and then immediately I'm spotted from I don't even know who somebody's uncle catching me on a <laughs> Facebook live stream from two countries away I'm sure but it's uh I I always find stealth games to just not really work for me and yeah. not really gel with me and there have been those moments of like Mark of the Ninja I love and uh that one I think does a great job of communicating all of the information you need really well this game you know obviously it doesn't plaster the screen with as much info as that one did but I still feel like it's such a friendly stealth game for people who don't typically gel with stealth games um everything behaves so logically it never feels like enemies see you before you can see them unless you yourself are looking in the wrong direction you know it any of those things that frustrated me previously about stealth games that kept me from really excelling in the ways that i thought that i should have been able to do um just really don't apply in hitman and i love the i love games that require or that encourage a lot of exploration. I like finding Easter eggs. I like spending time in levels and really rinsing them. Um, I like games that give you the feeling of digital tourism, uh, which this absolutely does. You know, getting to there's there are a few games that make me feel like I am in a space as much as I am in Hitman. You know, mm -hmm. it, it is it is to me kind of the modern day equivalent of, and maybe it's time for you know him to retake his throne after last year but uh it feels like the modern day equivalent of a tony hawks pro skater game which is a weird comparison to make huh? but when it comes to mastery of a hitman level it is the same process of mastery of a tony hawk level and that is knowing the map knowing the secrets knowing routes through the map to maximize your potential to do things in ways that um are that make it look effortless that um that really do become like a second nature muscle memory. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if, 
if you enjoy these kind of densely packed Where's Waldo type of maps that you saw in Katamari Damacy and games like that, where the world is telling a story around you, Hitman's great for that. Um, if you if you just want to walk through it as kind of a as a little exercise in digital tourism, all the levels are unlocked from the beginning, I believe. You you don't even need to engage with the assassination at all. You know, my my partner likes just, you know, watching the game when there's not even any of the action happening. You know, it's a it's a pleasure to just um to just uh to just browse Blend and, and in on you, a bench I love and watch the world go by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I love social stealth. I love this kind of um, destroy all humans um, type of assuming somebody else's identity and feeling a little bit naughty because you are <laughs> you are somewhere you're not supposed to be. And if somebody just spent enough time looking at your face, they would know they didn't recognize you. You know, there's a certain kind of vicarious thrill to uh, to doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just uh, I'm I'm really in love with everything that Hitman has become. Um, it is. A, a kind of friendly stealth game that um although i had kind of lost lost hope in myself in this particular genre previously it really reinvigorated me and made me um go back and and explore more uh more stealth games that i might have missed otherwise you know i think mastering hitman translates really nicely into getting into games like desperados 3 and um yes yeah. Uh, the the other kind of Japan focused game Shadow that uh, Mini yeah, Studios yeah. made before. Yeah, 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 Shadow Tactics. Yeah. Um, really, really layers nicely. Uh, I I hope that Hitman becomes kind of a template that a lot of developers look at going forwards. Um, I think it it was unsuccessful financially for different reasons between its 2016 and 2018 releases. I hope that the 20 uh, 2021 Hitman three is going to be the one that pushes it into the mainstream because although it's always been kind of a niche thing, it is one releasing rather uncontested in January. That's, I think, a very smart move. It's also releasing at a time where I feel like really niche games are starting to break through the mainstream in ways that they haven't before. You know, just looking at a Steam bestsellers list and seeing Baldur's Gate 3 <laughs> making you know, seeing how successful Crusader Kings three was this last year, like it's time for niche games yeah. to be getting huge amounts of attention and Hitman is ready to capitalize on that. So best of luck in what might be his final voyage, at least for, for now. Yeah. But, um, you know, buy Hitman three, play the Hitman two levels in Hitman three. It's, um, it's probably going to be an improved experience. Um, but uh, what what a terrific game and one that has really kind of carried me on multiple platforms for many years now. And I look forward to revisiting again in just a few days. And, and let's face it, everyone, you're really, really going to want to kill some rich <laughs> assholes after the last year and a half. So absolutely. It. No, it's it's. Uh wonderful chatting with with all of you with the various histories we've got with this series it, it's one of those where i look back at hitman 2 silent assassin notably not called hitman 2 everything that is apparent to people who enjoy these games i felt like i saw in that game obviously i didn't it wasn't there it was what i imagined it could be and what you know i sort of put into the game and to to know that for someone like you ryan Hitman's finally got to the place the th to it's got to be the thing I saw 
that I thought it was initially, if that makes sense. So it's been mm -hmm. uh, wonderful to have uh, the four of us with our various perspectives on this. Even if we are all positive, I hope it comes across that we're positive in different ways and kind of come to it from different perspectives, whether it's Josh as, as a stealth fan from other types of stealth or Ryan as someone who didn't particularly come to stealth and this has kind of brought him in, which is really cool. And myself and John just here along for the ride. Um, that's it for this issue, the uh, first of, uh, of Volume 10. And we are delighted that you're here with us next time in issue 452, a hunter must hunt. It's Monster Hunter World plus... Oh. Iceborne, not Bloodborne. Yeah, sorry, James. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist the silly joke.